0: Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Ryan. Big Jim and Goody are with me as usual. We'll be looking back at all the action from a busy Premiership weekend. and We'll have a chat with Scotland international Emma Wessel after the women's Six Nations got underway at the weekend. And we'll discuss what the future holds for England and Eddie Jones after the noises coming out of the RFU over the past week.
2: At Lassian, tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today terms conditions restrictions all apply. see website for details
1: how are we lads
2: sun's out
3: guns out everyone's happy everyone is happy summer rugby let's say it let's start off with a statement that will get many replies and how much happier does the sun make you It's out in
0: Scotland, is it, Jim?
3: I Genuinely, it's out. Jim's been at the beach.
0: I mean, don't we know it? All over your social media. Oh, look at me on the beach. It's minus four, but the sun's out. Dad,
3: get off your phone. Dad, <laughs> get off your phone, please. It's Mother's Day. Please, I'm begging you. No. 2,000 followers extra and 1,999 are from Indonesia. So you've got to <laughs> give them what they want. They want beaches, don't they? They want Scotland. They want the Highlands. They want history. And I've give it to them. But all good suns out, as we know, and my good self and Andrew, without speaking for him, we've been all over the ruggers this weekend, albeit different, I was going to say different standards, it it weren't, I was in Cardiff for the big one, Cardiff-Glasgow, it was a great game, I was going to be a bit horrible then, but I can't, it was great, it was arguably better than what we saw at the Tottenham Stadium, depends who you speak to, so there ain't going to be an argument, but yeah, I've been all over the ruggers this weekend, back to a bit of normality. And yeah, I feel good. I feel good going on holiday in a couple of weeks. Just so the burglars know, we've got security at the house, so so don't matter.
1: And not not a lot else for you. Goody. How was your weekend, mate? Go
0: back to the week. It happened again, didn't it? It Happened again. I was in the office on Tuesday chatting to a few of the lads, and they were like, "How are you?" I just said, "I'm five kilos heavier, and I'm tired. I'm not having another drink that goes past my lips for a few weeks." They're like, "What are you on about?" I said, "I've I've drank that much Guinness over the last six weeks, and we talked about it last week, didn't we?" We were glad all the live shows were over for one reason and one reason only to have an alcohol-free few weeks. They were like, we've got a team meal out on Thursday night. I'm like, oh, fuck. So it happened again. I said to the missus, I'll be back by 11. Rocked in at about three in the morning in the doghouse Friday. I promised myself I wouldn't drink and then I completely forgot about the team meal out and ended up um, having a big night out with the lads again on Thursday. But it got better because Saturday, as Jim said, I was at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. What a stadium that is.
3: How, Andrew, I am not. I would have you commentating on every big game, but how the hell have you got that gig? How are you <laughs> doing that at the weekend? Well, I just, you know, I, analysis, rugby IQ. I know that. I know all that. But why are you not doing the zebra match? Like, why are you doing <laughs> the big one?
0: <laughs> I think Austin couldn't do it, probably, is the, is the true answer. I don't know. Got us to do it a few weeks ago. So, yes, it was great. I mean, the stadium's unbelievable. The area where the stadium is, not so much. I'm driving in on my Range Rover... All I'm thinking is this ain't coming out of here alive. I was just glad it was still there after the game and then driving back out afterwards as well. What a stadium though. Like an unbelievable stadium. And we'll get onto the game in a bit. But yeah, privilege to be there. Fifty odd thousand, you know, just walking around the stadium, seeing everything, the changing rooms, ridiculous. And it was just a it was absolute privilege to commentate on that on Saturday night. So, uh, yeah, mate, I'm all good. I'm all good.
1: Well, we'll come on to the premiership action in a minute, but there's been a fair amount coming out of the RFU over the past week in the aftermath of the Six Nations. It appears that RFU succession planning for Eddie Jones is underway and apparently the new head coach will be named before the 2023 World Cup and will be English. Plus, there's a plan in place in case Eddie leaves before the World Cup. Goody,
0: your thoughts. I think it's very reactive to the absolute PR disaster that they put out after the France game. A faceless person from the RFU, a spokesperson, has said, we're happy with the solid progress that the team's made. Um, and we called it out last week. We spoke about it, didn't we? And other pundits and other people have called it out as well. So I think this press conference that they called by Bill Sweeney was very reactionary to the absolute disaster that they put out the week before. And again... I'm going to throw it out there. I think it's ridiculous what they've said. Like, absolutely crazy. All they should have said is, we're not happy with where we're at, obviously. We're two wins out of five. But we're backing Eddie Jones to the hill. You don't need to go any further. Like We're going to do a review. Okay, put some findings out. But if you'd have just been solid and said, we're backing Eddie Jones to the World Cup, and hopefully we get back on the horse when we play Australia in the summer. Bang, you're done. Then, you know, you come out with a ridiculous statement last week. Then he holds a one-hour press conference, and he's talking about you know, this new coach is going to be in place prior to the World Cup. You know, basically you're cutting down every option and I'll tell you what's going to happen. They've got an Englishman that can coach under Eddie Jones that will be available before the World Cup. Steve Borthwick is literally the only person that... Has that there was a reason Steve Borthwick left England to go and get head coaching and experience and that was to take over from Eddie Jones. Now, any coach, like you think of, if you go after the biggest coaches in the world, who who would England want to be as their head coach? Well, it should be... Who's the best coach in the world? We are the biggest union. So let's go and get the best coach in the world. You know, be that Scott Robertson from New Zealand, be that Sean Edwards, be that Warren Gatlin, be that any name you want to chuck out there. But basically what you're saying is he's got to be English. And, you know, I'm patriotic. And, you know, I'm happy that they're going down that route. But if he's the sixth best coach, whoever this English person is in the world, well, why aren't we going after the best? Like Sean Edwards is an ultimate Englishman. He's openly said he likes long-term employment he ain't coming to England before the World Cup, is he? He's got a contract with France. So you've basically said, now nah, we don't want Sean Edwards. For me, I think it's, again, a ridiculous statement. And it's really bad PR again, because they're kind of saying that whoever comes in is going to be English. He's going to work under Eddie Jones. No one wants to work under Eddie Jones, really, do they? And any good coach worth their salt is going to be in a contract. And so the only thing that I can think of is Steve Borthwick gets to the end of his coaching contract at Leicester Tigers at the end of 2023 season so you're talking June next year and he can then work under Eddie Jones I, I, it's flabbergasting for me the leadership and they're talking about we've got this war room with every coach namely some English coaches that could take the job Rob Baxter being one obviously Steve Borthwick being another you know do they promote from within Richard Cockerell. I I think the leadership and the decision making around that it basically says Eddie Jones is named his successor shouldn't have anything to do with Eddie Jones like it should be, here's our plan. Eddie's going to the World Cup and we will make noises in the background around who we want and we're going to go after them. You can get people to sign a pre-contract. So you can go and get a Sean Edwards, but he'll start after the World Cup. And by the way, Sean, you can sign that million quid contract a year, whatever it is, for four years. But it's just ridiculous what they've done. I really do think it. And to say he's going to be working with Eddie at the 2023 World Cup, you know, someone mentioned that France did it with Jim's mate. Fabian Gauthier at the last World Cup, well, you know, all the players are like then. Who do we listen to? Do we listen to the coach now, the coach next year? I just think it's a crazy situation. And again, very bad management from Bill
3: Sweeney, as CEO of the RFU. Gauthier got sacked as well from Toulon and Montpellier. So that's why he had the time. Because that's the point, isn't it, Goody, that you're making? That really, any decent coach is under contract, as in good and proper. And out of all yeah. of them, I know Borthwick's been thrown about it. Look, he's done a fantastic job with Leicester, the top of the league. So the Proust in the pudding. I'd be not flabbergasted. What well, I'd be gutted for Leicester if they lost him that quickly. Uh, it's a big call for him as well as such a young coach because, as you know, any international coach, unless you win a World Cup, doesn't end well, especially if you're an England coach. We've seen that. Well, look at all the last England coaches. Tell me which ones ended well. Well, it hasn't. There's only one man for the job, and it's walk in, smash him. There is no better man to take the reins in terms of experience, in terms of energy, in terms of the public. Not one person, English, Welsh, Scottish, Irish, German, is batting an eyelid. Everyone knows that he is the right man. If you're talking English, he is the right man for the job. I cannot think of anyone else. Gatlin's getting thrown about. Well, it's a stopgap, isn't it, until the All Blacks, without speaking for him. But I imagine that's the case. Scott Robertson, same. Like He'll come over for a bit. He wants to coach the All Blacks. I'm sure he's on their list of coaches that are in line. I saw Richard Cockrell out on his bike, put on a bit good. He actually thought it was you riding your bike past me (laughs) earlier today. Did you give him the horn?
0: (laughs) He
3: didn't even look at me. He's English now, isn't he? So I loved it when he... I think he came on the podcast, didn't he? And he was saying we, talking about Scotland. I absolutely loved it, but he's English now. No other man. If they're talking about it now... I don't know why you'd say we'll bring him in now. This is ruggers, isn't it, at the minute, where we find ourselves in. Sean Edwards, it's not even up for debate.
0: Yeah, but that's the thing, though. By them saying what they've said, they're not getting Sean Edwards unless you know they're spending a ridiculous amount of money to get him out of his France contract. Because can you see? We had Sean Edwards on the pod the other week, and he's embedded into that France outfit now as a coach. He signed a four-year contract. So the French Rugby Union... They ain't going to let them go before the World Cup, are they? It's their big dance. It's their big showpiece no. in their own backyard. So you, you're not getting Sean Edwards, so you, you can cross him off the list. Honestly, I'm just amazed with the rhetoric that it's come out of. And it seems to me so reactive to the negativeness around their PR disaster statement they put out about the solid progress that England made the week before and it's like, shit, what do we do now? And they've got some PR agency saying, well, I'll go with this. you know. And they're talking about a plan B and talking about, oh, for legal reasons, we can't tell you that. But if you think we haven't got a plan B, you're massively mistaken. Show us what it is then. Sometimes I think you're better off saying as little as possible or saying nothing in terms of a statement about who's the next coach. If they'd have just said, we're focused on the World Cup, we're working in the background and looking at names, we've got a long list... But by committing to having someone in the coaching team for the 2023 World Cup who's going to take over from Eddie Jones, you're massively decreasing the pool of people. To cut off all the possibilities that you can, sort of 18 months out from whenever this new coach is going to take over, I just think it's ridiculous leadership. So that's just my take on it.
3: If in doubt, just do what Will Smith did and just break down and cry on TV and just say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Slap someone first though, right? Hey, Chris Rock took it well, didn't he? Do you think you would have taken that, Andrew? I am legend or what? Obviously a setup, isn't it? No, no. No chance.
0: Mate, the Oscars have gone so far downhill that they were like, obviously, again, some PR thing, let's come up with something where everyone gets talking about the Oscars again, so it's great. Mate, it's a setup for me, but there we go.
1: Well, while we're in the USA, let's talk about the 2031 World Cup, World Rugby saying the USA is the only country they're talking to. So so does that mean it's a done deal?
3: I hope so. I hope so as well. If Rugby is to grow, right, and there's a load of stuff and I could sit here for half an hour and talk about what I believe, how the game could grow and what needs to be done. And people can talk about putting music at halftime when Connor are playing Zebra. That ain't the way. I know that Rock Nation have come out and said that that's the way. Entertainment and all that stuff, completely get that. One for me, summer rugby. Again, I'm going to bat that drum until it happens. Bat the drum or bang the drum? Hey, can't say bat now. Who ate the bat? Well, I don't know. Who ate the bat? Who ate it? How do you say it? I don't know. But goodness me, they've got something to answer for if they are still around. My God. Anyway, we're through that. Positivity. Rugby, the growth. USA, World Cup, 2031. For me, I think everyone knows that in order for the game to grow, it needs to take off in the US, right? And we know the MLR is growing and they're franchised and they're owned by sugar daddies, if you can say that, rich people, if you can say that, rich men, if you can say that. But they are. that The MLR teams are owned, the franchises are owned by that. There's a big disconnection between USA Union, who are losing money, they almost went bankrupt, But the appetite is there to grow the game in America. But I think internationally, globally, from a world rugby standpoint, there's only one way. People keep talking about Japan. And the World Cup in Japan was fantastic in 2019. Absolutely fantastic. So we know in Japan, the top league is taking off. But with all due respect, it's a very different culture in Japan, albeit amazing. So the money and the commercial aspect of having a World Cup in America in 2031 – makes absolute sense for the growth of the game. And that's probably how long it's going to take the USA to be, I say competitive, competitive with the likes of Georgia, Romania, tier two nations, right? Because at the minute they're just not competitive. Scotland. Well, wow, interesting that. Interesting. Wales. True. True. But with the USA, they need to find a back way into the World Cup. They've got they've got Chile, I think, to qualify. But I, th- I love all the noises coming out of it. I think it's the right way to go, as I've said. I love the country and I've just mentioned the MLR and there's an appetite now for current professionals to get out there. So it kind of aligns, I think, with uh, with the appetite of everyone, both professionally, commercially and casual fans, I suppose.
0: I think that's a big thing as well. Like You talk about Japan there and the quality of player that's out in Japan. and It's not off the back of the World Cup, but obviously there's an investment by all the clubs after the World Cup, to continue growing the game. So, you know, they're getting world stars playing over there, like your Quade Coopers and like your Karevies and all these boys. Bowden Barrett went for a stint as well. In America, you've seen, and Jim said it then, there's now an appetite for a lot of these boys, the Matt Gittos, going and playing for the Giltinis. There's numerous players that are trying to go over there. So that is the next step. And you think about it, 2031 World Cup, that's nine years' time, James.
3: Can you imagine the state of us? Can you imagine what we're going to look like <laughs> in nine years' time?
0: That's the point. I was just thinking, how cool would it be? We we'll be, we could be based in LA, or we could be based in Miami. We've been there. We conquered Miami, you know, New York, wherever it is. And then I was like, shit, I'll be 51.
3: Oh, my gosh. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. I tell you what, though. My lid and the tags will be done at that point. So, arguably, I could look better than I look now. I don't know if you will, Goody. I don't, look, I don't want to be horrible, but... I've got a feeling that the weave is slowly falling out. It's not, mate. Look how strong the weave is.
0: Weave looks strong. It's just the gastric van that needs doing next. Although I'm two kilos down this week.
3: How have you lost two kilos in a week? That was just a massive shit before I came was <laughs> on, so, on air. So.
1: <laughs> Let's talk about some rugby now then, Goody. Let's start with you. Tottenham Spurs Stadium. You mentioned it before. Talk us through the game and the event as a whole.
0: Yeah, I mean, the event was unbelievable. Obviously, when you're on TV, you get there pretty early. So we were there at about 12 o'clock and... It was fairly empty and seeing it grow, seeing everything, the fanfare outside and fair play to Saracens as a club. They, they've put it on. You know, we've been through COVID. They've obviously been through the relegation. And I think one of the quotes was from one of their players was this time last year we were playing Cornish Pirates away. And here we are at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium with 50 odd thousand people. So everything was it was absolutely class to be there. There was a woman playing the violin as the teams are coming out and she was on the top of the the roof of the stadium where the Tottenham Hotspur golden sort of statue is with their emblem on. And I'm looking at it going, absolutely no chance that you'd ever... She was strapped in. I'd be absolutely shit to myself of how high I was there she is playing the violin and there's a lot of movement when you're playing the violin it's not just stand there keep still she's moving all over the shop and I'm like one oh, fall.
3: How she mo- where's she moving her head well she's <laughs> nodding nodding her head and she's
0: getting jiving with the music and putting a body into it and all this stuff and I'm looking at it going one slip love if that you know I'm with me if that was me up there you'd have to have a super reinforced kind of cable to keep me on tied in but I wouldn't fancy that. But the players came out. It was unbelievable. I even made some friends with Saracens fans, James, which was miracles do happen. I, d- I don't know who they were. They, they didn't have a full set of teeth, but they were literally, <laughs> you know. So they came up to me that before the game and me and Lawrence are chatting on the side and, you know, Saracens fans, like, Goody, Goody. I'm like, oh, how are you doing? I was a bit anxious around like a Saracens fan coming up to me. Just didn't know whether they would be an absolute noise and chuck a pint on me or something. or You, you just never know, do you? Because there's that... Ill feeling there from them because I called out everything that went on. Now, this woman said to me, she was with her husband, and there was about a group of six of them, and said, why, why are you so mean about Saracens and the salary cap? I said, I'm not. I said, and I used a line, and I quote Jim Hamilton There's a fine line between honesty and what you perceive to the lady as negativity. Now, you see it as negative, I see it as just being honest, and the punishment fitted the crime. So, and she, we got chatting, and she was like, Do you know what? I'm going to follow you back on Twitter now. So, whereas Jim Hamilton gained 2,000 followers from Indonesia on his Instagram that cost him about 500 quid, I'd made six Saracens fans turn back to following Andy Goode on Twitter again because I'm actually, she's like, you're you a much nicer bloke than I thought you were. I was like, well, I can lie about that as well.
3: Andrew, you just said she had no teeth. I don't think she's going to be carried on following you.
0: <laughs> I, didn't, I said she didn't have a full set of teeth, but. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a hell of a day, you know, getting into the game. Obviously, Saracens went there with their uh, gun 15 bar, Mac over Napolo. It was the strongest team I think they could put out. Fully loaded, Owen Farrell back. He looks like he's done a lot of upper body weights in the four months he's had off. Obviously, with a, you know, two ankle injuries and a foot injury, whichever one it was. But yeah, Bristol, I, I looked at the Bristol team. and I'm like, this is going to be done before half-time. If Saracens rock up with all their internationals and play anywhere near their potential, and Bristol keep playing the way they've been playing, by half-time it's all over. And Pat Lam, first time I've ever seen this, but Pat Lam put four forwards and four backs on the bench. you ever seen that, Jim?
3: No. Makes you think they've got injuries, haven't they, in their
2: squad?
0: Yeah, he came out before the game and said, look, you know, what we've noticed is our backs aren't very durable. For the first 20 minutes, we score more points than anyone else. And then the last 20 minutes, we concede more points than anyone else. And a lot of it's the backs fault, effectively. He said, look, they're not as durable, you know, fitness-wise, they can't get through 80 minutes. And I'm just sat there listening to it going, "Geez, imagine if he ever coached me what he thought about my fitness. But the fitness coach has got an absolute hammering, I think, over the weekend. And, you know, he's got a lot of work to do Monday morning. But four backs on the bench, two of them were worth about two million quid in total in Semi Randranda and Charles Piertel. And he came with this plan of, we're going to stay in the game and then we're going to bring our boys off the bench in the last sort of 25, 30 minutes and hopefully go on and win the game. And Saracens were had good shapes on attack, but they were edgy. You know, your 10 comes back in and Owen Farrell, who's been out for four months. You're integrating a lot of internationals back in that team collectively. And they were just sort of half a yard off the pace in terms of accuracy and all this stuff. And Bristol took a couple of chances. What amazed me, and here's one for you, Jim, you've got the England hooker, Jamie George, playing his 250th game. You've got the England second row partnership against France, Maratoji and Nick Azikwe. Couldn't win a line out for love nor money. Yeah, that's supposedly three of England's best players in those positions. So you got to credit Bristol for putting them under pressure. But yeah, it's mad when you look at it. I, all I was thinking, it was catch him on there, two-step lob. That's all they need. like. But they brought Swinner on with about five minutes to go, so that
3: shored it all up. He brought the long leg in the the ruck to win the game when the ball went off. So <laughs> worth his weight in gold. It was, it was a weird game though, wasn't it? Because the tries yeah. that were scored were all kind of opportunists. I know they went through the phases or whatever, but it was a bounce of a ball and stuff like that that... Kind of led to the tries. That was the weird thing about the game. And I suppose you probably get that with Faz coming in. And I only watched the game back because I said I was doing the big one, the Glasgow Cardiff game down in Cardiff. But I read some stuff on social media. And again, I don't know why I've gone to that to get my information about Owen Farrell not playing a good game, not having a good game, high tackle. So I'm thinking. He played all right, Faz. Well, I know he did. I watched it back. That's what I mean. So when I went and watched it back, I was like, actually, took the ball to the line. Where he's been out for five months. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? He's come straight back in. The, the issue is, and I think I listened to, was it maybe Lawrence or Benny, someone on BT said, he's going to get caught out with his tackling one day. Like he is. just He's just naturally a high tackler, isn't he? And then obviously he's been out for five months. You revert back to type, which is trying to bang boys. But I thought we looked good. I thought, yeah. well, we know. He's a, world, he's a world-class player, isn't he? But fair play to Bristol's weather conditions obviously suited them. What about... Poor Joe Joyce. I mean, what a break oh, at the end. I yeah. would have just let him have it. Just you can't, just let them have a the try.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is the thing. I mean, you can't let him have it. And we called out a few things. I thought Christoph Ridley missed quite a few bits. You know, Billy Apollo should have been Simbin for slapping the ball down. Should have been a yellow card. Elliot Daly came at the side of a mall that was going over for a try. And I'm like, how's he missed that? You know, there was a try that, you obviously watched it, Jim. I called it, I'm TMO, I should be TMO. Basically, Billy knocks the ball on And a try ends up getting scored by Saracens. And we're like, no. I said, no, there's been a knock-on. They need to check it. So they've gone back to an offload, which was just before the try, which was clearly not forward. And they're like, no, it's fine. And then I'm like, no, no. They've got the wrong one. They need to check it. And then...
3: No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not.
0: The TMO, Brian McNeese, was like, oh, better check again then. And they stopped the try. But rightly so.
3: But when you mentioned the TMO, Andrew, I thought you were going to name drop me. When you mentioned Biscuits, I thought you were going to say your partner in crime, try and get me on BT Sport for a big game. Nothing. (laughs) Well, I'm with the go at Lawrence. So what am I going to do? Well, very true. But I mean, even Lawrence knows my name. I reckon in that kind of sentence, he might have referenced me somehow. Nothing, Andrew.
0: I should have said I'll move upstairs to the TMO truck and big Jim Hamilton, my partner in crime, will take my spot here. But, mate, you're too busy with the URC, mate, doing the big games. But, yeah, going back to Joe Joyce, this is a coaching thing, right? So, you know the old double pump when you do 2v1s and all this stuff, Jim? Coaches. Teach players to pump the ball to try and fix the defender. So if the def- you pump it once, if the defender stays, you then tip it on.
1: Did you just ask Jim if he knows how to do a double pump?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he does it in a different manner, but not in rugby terms. Yeah,
3: two pump, Jim.
1: <laughs> two
3: pump, Jim Bob.
0: So I felt so sorry for Joe Joyce. He's probably done everything the coaches have taught him to do: pump the ball once, fix the defender, then pass it. That one second delay. Or not even one second, half a second, quarter of a second, whatever it was, just meant that when he shoved it out of his hands, and they're big old hands as well, L of a break. 80th minute, second row, and he's done Duncan Taylor as well. Duncan Taylor's Herring across. I reckon he snapped his hammy again by the looks of it. And then the forward pass, such a shame. But rightly so, if you're calling out the TMO, you've got to call that out and say it was forward. So in the end, Saracens deserved to win. It was a great day out, really enjoyed it. Glad to get home safely at the end of it after. Driving through Edmonton and Tottenham won't be going there back in a hurry. Mind,
3: I'll go if anyone wants to use me. I'm happy to go there. And before Monday, that's in the garage. Keep it real, man of the people, and all that.
1: <laughs> and from that to the other end of the scale, Worcester cancelling their trip to Gloucester late notice on Friday That's a bit of a shame, wasn't it?
3: What What are you saying? What you saying, Andy Rowe? Right? Divers didn't want to play the game because he didn't have a full squad. So we tried to say that the prop was injured. What? what are you I ain't saying that. Is that what you're trying to imply? Yeah? Andy Rowe?
0: It was COVID. It wasn't COVID. There was a bit of illness. There was a bit of an injury. We
3: we did a fitness test. just didn't fancy it. Tight hamstring. Tandu. And, well, Andy Rowe, you called it, mate. It got cancelled. That was it. I mean, that's all we know. If you want a bit of insight, if we were to try to cause a bit of drama, we'd probably get people sacked. And let's get it out there. I know nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's not something where I've thought, you know what? This is something I'm really, really interested in, the gloucester worcester game getting canned. So I'm going to ring someone up and see what the crack is. I just well, all I know is that Ravo's arm got to spend time with the four kids, which I'm sure he's absolutely <laughs> delighted with.
0: What I will say on it is, and I don't know whether it's just the association of Steve Diamond. It's a bit smelly. I'm gonna be honest. I'm not saying Steve Diamond's smelly. I'm just gonna say the way it ended up, you know, there was a bit of COVID, but not enough to cancel the game. There was you know, we had a bit of illness, there was a few injuries. We couldn't they could have put a team out by getting some low knees in late doors. Look at what Cardiff did to get the game on. They've gone for a bin man, an electrician, you know, someone that's still at school. Postman Pat. Yeah, Postman Pat as well got a game. So I genuinely believe that Worcester could have done more and could have got the game on. The big thing about it is Gloucester are right in the hunt for the top four. Ultimately, I'm just going to throw it out there. If that game goes ahead, Gloucester win that with a bonus point, without a shadow of a doubt. Looking at what's happening at Worcester at the minute, looking at the fact that, there was injuries or illness or COVID and whatever team they were going to put out, Gloucester would have got five points. Now, the regs of the premiership, if it is to do with COVID and a cancellation, it's four points to Gloucester because Worcester couldn't fulfil the fixture and Worcester get two points. The Worcester getting two points is irrelevant. It's the thing, and we'll only find out this later in the season, is how close that top four race is now. And whether Gloucester are getting four points for the win, and we're still to find out what's going to happen with it, or if they'd have played the game, they'd have got five points, they'll be absolutely raging. And if they miss out by one point for the top four, which theoretically could happen, my goodness me, there'll be people that are pretty pissed off. So I could, I, I feel for Gloucester. I hope everyone's okay at Worcester. Of course I do. But something about Steve Diamond being involved in it and the way it was all handled, the way it was all done last minute, just doesn't sit right. So investigate the life out of it.
3: Andrew. You've convinced me that there's something there. I wasn't that interested. I was just happy for Ravo's arm. But you're right, eh? I agree. They would have got five points. They would have because fully loaded Gloucester, aren't they? So um, we will see. I'll have a finish to the end of the season though. It's going to be. It's
0: going to. be. So did you speak to Ravo? Was he um, was he happy to spend time with his four kids, or would he rather the game gone on?
3: The fact that he hasn't rang me means that
1: he's in hell right now. It's all. Right <laughs> <happening>. <laughs> Well, Leicester sealed their playoff place with five rounds to go after beating Exeter away. How big of a blow is that defeat for the Chiefs in terms of their own playoff hopes?
3: Well, they're still fourth.
1: So not that big a blow in the grand scheme of things,
3: but huge, huge for Leicester because they've now cemented their position in the top four, but also how comfortable it was. I know Exeter came back, but just how comfortable Leicester Mm. looked just across the board. Beginning of the season, middle of the season, you're thinking, right, So something's going to happen. The momentum's going to come off, probably a little bit like Gloucester, which we've seen the momentum came off slightly. Leicester, no. Unbelievable performance against Saracens a few weeks ago, down at the StoneX Stadium. And then you're thinking, all right, the boys are back from international duty. You'd expect maybe a little bit of a drop in terms of emotion with everything they've been through in terms of internationally trying to back it up. No, complete opposite. Absolutely rocked up. I know Fordy went off injured, Freddie came on, and it was a seamless transition. I thought Ollie Chesham was fantastic. He got man of the match, 20-odd tackles in the game. Whoever goes into that Leicester team just perform, don't they? And, well, the fact that they're the only team now that are in the top four shows you, doesn't it? So I thought they were unbelievable. Physical, direct, tactically very good. One thing I do wish, I just wish Borthos would give us a bit more after. It's not his character, though, is it? He's... You know, he's Mr. Rugby. Yeah, but Sarah says to him after, he's like, you've secured top four, like a great achievement. And he's just like, wow, the achievements around the game today. Well, I get that. But mate, Leicester finished bottom of the league last year. Like, Uh, (laughs) mate, top of the league by a country mile. Come on, give us something. But hey, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we want. He's absolutely delivering. So that's when we talk about the England thing with Borthwick. If he stays in situ at Leicester with what they're building with the South African contingent that they've got, they're going to be proper. You've got to think of the European opportunity they've got this year as well, but let's go back to the game. For them to go 19 nil up, 19 nil at Sandy Park, just shows where they're at. Because Exeter were fully loaded as well, but near, near enough fully loaded. Uh, Slady was back, Johnny Gray was playing, Hugh was playing. So, massive statement of intent, because the worry is for a team like Exeter, if they finish fourth and Leicester finish top, so already them kind of mind games are going to be in and around the different teams, aren't they? The fact that Leicester went to Sandy Park absolutely dominated them. I know the scoreline closed towards the end of the game, Uh, but yeah, well impressed.
4: Yeah,
0: listen, Leicester were great and you're welcome, Leicester Tigers. I know I do a bit of work back at the club now, but Chris Ashton, hey, comes on a couple of live shows. Has a few pints of Guinness and Blackcurrant with my good self and Jim Hamilton. And then he goes and scores two down extra. I mean the crossfield kick from George Forbes was absolutely pinpoint perfect. And Ashley's the ultimate poacher, so he goes and gets the, the the loose ball and off he goes for his second try. But he's equaled Tom Vandell, and I can't say his nickname on here, Tom Vandell's. It's an amazing nickname.
3: I'll say it. The anal Vibrator. I'll say it. No <laughs> the issue. Anal
0: Vibrator. There's another one as well. But yeah, Ashley, uh, we were chatting to him last week, weren't we? He came to Liverpool, came to Manchester. And I said, mate, you've got to be in your sights. He's like, mate, I ain't even bothered. I haven't even thought thought about it. I'm just happy. I'm happy playing for Leicester. And he went and scores two at the weekend to equal it. So uh, fair play. There was Jim saying, mate, Doncaster, Ealing, Cornish Pirates, go and get a job there, Ashley. He's gone to Leicester. Apparently he's gone there on very little cash as well, as in he just wants to play and prove himself again. And fair play to Ashley, as you did your piece with him last week, Jim. He's a lovable rogue. And he scored a couple of tries to take him joint top
3: of the try scoring charts. Well, I'll tell you what, if Roslyn Park don't sign him now, he ain't ever getting a deal. Do you know what I mean? Having scored two down in Exeter and being joint top try scorer, and if he gets another opportunity, I'm sure that he'll top it. If Roslyn Park or Kov ain't signing him now, then he may as well hang up the boots because there's nothing more he can do. Do you know what I mean? You walk away, you would be like, there's nothing more.
1: A couple of the teams that are now snapping at the heels of Exeter, Northampton and London Irish uh, went head-to-head at Brentford over the weekend as well, but it wasn't to be for the Irish, was it?
3: Absolutely hosed. Absolutely hosed. And the interesting thing, Andrew, I know you're a big fan of Northampton. That's what's always come across when we chat about ruggers. And maybe it's because Westy, my old Bogey Monster's there. Boydie didn't think they'd make top four. He thought the season was over. Yeah, listen, Boydie said... Before, he didn't think
0: they were going to make top four, but I've always liked them, and I find them very frustrating because when they're on it, and when they that back line with Bigger at 10, obviously, Dingwall, I really rate him. Hutchinson, you know, I've not hidden the fact that I've I really enjoyed watching him play as well from back in the day when I first commentated at Northampton. I saw him warming up. I was like, who's this kid? He looks really good in a warm-up, and my God, he's a good player as well. But they have been so up and down, and that's the thing, isn't it? You know, you look at the top three teams, Leicester, Saracens, and Quinns, very, very consistent in what they do generally week in, week out. And then underneath that, the long list from Exeter have been ridiculously inconsistent this year, which is something that they've never been. You know, Gloucester have have really recovered. Saints really enjoy watching them play. You know, Dingwall is absolute class. You see the try, he scores, goes straight through the middle off a short ball from Hutchinson. First phase, absolutely brilliant play. And, you know, we love the bogey monster, Sam Vestey as well. I like the way he coaches the game and sees the game. So it's going to be very exciting now. So close. Even Wasps. And I hate to mention it. I don't hate to mention it because uh, I work there as well. They got a win at the weekend. Probably shouldn't have won against Newcastle. And they're real outsiders. But a lot of pressure on Exeter now. 57 points. I think Gloucester will move ahead of them. Come what may when the, the, the points get divvied up from that game. But it's going to be a battle royale. And Jim, just go back to Exeter, I've got a pack you on the back, son. You've even got Austin Healy believing in you now.
3: Did he mention me? Did he say that he heard me say it and I convinced him?
0: Well, no, he, did, he didn't mention you. What he said was he doesn't think Exeter will make top four, which is what you said at the start of the season. So you are the oracle.
3: Well, there we go. Absolutely. Just another line on Northampton, David Ribbons. I was questioning where the yeah. second rows are, where the locks are for England. Him... And also Dave Atwood for Bristol. I think both of them, they've got to be up there. They've got to be be up there or close to England. So imagine if, hey, if Borthos was in charge, they'd probably both be in. Just
1: saying. And Sale is the other team that's in with the hunt. They came back from 14 points down at halftime to draw 24 all at Bath and get a bonus point too. Do you think that's a good result for them? Or do you think that they dropped a couple of points and could have moved in into that uh, fourth spot? Andy Rowe, you answered the question, mate. If you
3: saw Fafter de Klerk's kick at the end, he got cramp. He got cramp in his calf. He got cramp in his hamstring. That's why I missed it in front of the sticks.
0: Wasn't in front of the sticks. To the left. To the left. To the left. <laughs> to the left. To the left. Tough kick. Do you reckon? Mate, no kick to win a game's easy unless it's right under the sticks, two metres out.
3: Tell Paolo Garbisi that. I mean, that's <laughs> all I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, was the kicking was off during that game. Not that that was the reason why they drew the game. Discipline again. You've got to call it. You've got to say it. It's just discipline again for sale. I'm going to dig out the stats for next week just to see. And we joked, they joked about it. We joked about it last year. Alex Anderson mentioned it. But it seems to be an underlying thing. But they, Dupree was having an off day with the boots. So they moved Fafter Clerk in. I know it's easier said than done. I'm saying it was an easy kick. But it went right to the wire. Fair play to Bath. It shows that they've got something like Sam Underhill, his carrying ability. I know that he he fluffed one of the tries, but that kind of reversed pass that he did to almost set himself back up. I thought Cipriani looked pretty decent. He was getting the ball into the wide channels. Uh, ben Spencer is captain as well. It seems like the shackles are off. There's a bit more confidence in that team because Sale, when you look at the profile of the team, Lou Diego, the Dupree brothers, Fafta-Clerk as well, the world-class talent that they've got in their team, you're thinking it's an easy win. The way that they play physically, they're route one. But yeah, I thought it was a good game again. It was in the sun, wasn't it? So Bath could play that open, expansive rugby. This is the question mark over Sale. Are they going to be a top four side? If they are, if they make it in, if they scrape into the top four, can they win? Can they win a semi? Can they win a final? That's the big thing with some of the flaws that they've got around discipline. Uh, With Manu, probably, if they get Manu, I know Fordy's going next year and he'll sort out of the kicking, but we're talking about this year, aren't we? So yeah, I love Sale. I love, I love the way they play. And I'll
0: tell you one of the issues, uh, AJ McGinty wasn't playing at the weekend. Take him out of the team, they ain't winning any semi-final if they get to the top four. And what they'll be frustrated with, if you watch the last five minutes where Bath ended up getting a penalty, just watch the body language of the Sale players. They're in Bath 22 attacking. They get a penalty turnover against them. Ben Spencer kicks the ball as if he's going for touch misses touch, the ball bounces a couple of times and it's the Bath players, it's a 60 metre kick, yet it's still the Bath players that end up getting the ball back 60 metres down the, the pitch where...
3: Goody, but I thought, did he not mean to kick it down the middle? It's a penalty, no chance. I thought he meant, but the way the commentators were saying it, it was like he just launched it down there thinking it was going to double bounce and bounce into the hands, no?
0: No, if you're the back three, of, say, if you're Alex Anderson and you're looking at the back three going, what are you doing, lads? Because... You've been given a reprieve by a missing touch. There's no way Ben Spencer, from a penalty, when you're three points down in your own 22, has just hoofed it as, as far as he can up the field. You're trying to find touch to launch an attack. Of course you are. You get the line out yourself. So free kick, different scenario, right? You Then you do bang it long and just chase after it. But it wasn't. It was a penalty. So he's gone for touch. He's missed it. The back three have just stood there looking at each other. And you're like, th- then their reaction was abysmal. I think Alex Anderson will be massively frustrated with how it all panned out. They got four tries and missed a few kicks at goal. They had the game within their grasp at the end and then they just switch off completely. So for me, they got four tries, three points, one for the four tries, two for the draw. But I think it's two points dropped massively, especially with how tight the league's going to be towards the end of the season.
2: OK, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
4: My mind, And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app.
1: Well, the Women's Six Nations got underway at the weekend. We can have a chat about it all now with Scotland's sick and row, Emma Wassel. How are you, mate?
5: I'm good. Thank you very much. Thank you.
3: Emma, class to have you on. I know that we've spoken a few times and our paths have crossed and a fellow second row as well, which is great. Firstly, let's start off with the positive. How do you keep going? How are you playing every game on the spin? How do you do this?
5: <laughs> like there's a lot of luck in there. There is luck. I don't know. I, I, I'm scared for when the time comes, It'll be it'll be tough to adjust. But yeah. I don't know, you come off the pitch and I'm like, am I okay?
0: I'm okay. Can I go next week? Can I go next week? That's amazing. I'm just amazed that I'm speaking to a Scottish second row, a legendary Scottish second row (laughs) with a Scottish accent because I have to deal with (laughs) Jim Hamilton who's English but claims he was a legendary legendary Scottish second row. Um, Talk to us about the game and obviously disappointing result but what I want to know is you played with a lot of the England girls at Loughborough Lightning. Was there any banter on the field between... Teammates, Because when I used to play against Jim, England against Scotland, I used to rip the piss out of him because he was terrible. But a <laughs> bit of banter between the girls?
5: Oh, uh, Like, I don't don't engage in it too much. But I mean, like, Locke Lomond was playing for kickoff and I seen Helena Rowland across the pitch. She was singing along. She loves it. Nah, it was good. Ugh, like, it's kind of hard to, obviously, you see the scoreline, you think... I mean as Jim would say keep it below 50.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I did say that Emma didn't I before I sent you a voice note and I said look it's all good.
5: Honestly it went through my head afterwards I was like Jesus Christ look it's going to be easy for me to say but I don't think that scoreline reflected how the game went at all and I would like to think other people would agree with that. There was times we really did compete and I would say put England under pressure however they are a very well drilled team and exploited our mistakes very well like our set piece functioned well we got into there 22 10 times I think obviously converted once so like that's something we can look at but as in we were getting in the right areas and we were putting them under pressure but again like one mistake in that area and they were booting it down the park drive them on and that's another try so like there's some real areas we can work on but there was probably some positives and yeah like I do honestly believe there was times during that game that we were competing well against them.
3: Yeah absolutely I mean I've said it a million times not this isn't a joke genuinely I have said that sometimes the score line doesn't reflect the game I said that after we had 48 points put on us against New Zealand but it sometimes is the way what is the difference do you think between a team like England who I'm gonna say it well funded there's been a professional element around what they're doing there seems to be a pathway for years and again I'm relatively new to the women's game and understanding what everyone goes through what the different teams go through but naturally there's going to be a golf right there's going to be a divide and like like the qualifier for the world Cup and stuff like that there's a divide between the next tier down as well what is it is it a funding thing is it does it need time
5: again like they they have been professional for many years now and it is they are They are very well drilled and they have threats everywhere. I think a big thing England have is depth, like real depth. And as much as I am hugely proud to have played 53 games in a row, in reality, should that be happening? They have players that are probably on rotation that are world-class, like that just are not getting even the game time just because they have really good players everywhere. I think obviously the Prem 15s like I've only played just one season with Loughborough Lightning and the difference in, in playing club down south is, is night and day so they've obviously had that set up for quite some time there's heaps of different things you could probably bring into it and and it is it's probably easy it sometimes I feel maybe a wee bit of cop to say like they're a fully professional team and we're not but so many of us are now playing in the prime 15s and we we know individually like we can compete against them and we obviously play with them and but them as a unit um, as a squad just quite untouchable right now in the last four games they obviously they played new zealand who are who are number 2 in the world uh, in october and the scoreline was 53-15 like the first time they played them that's new zealand number 2 so again i'm not i'm not taking that away from we're kind of we're absolutely not there yet but that's how big the gap is i would say
0: and a lot of that is obviously you mentioned it before how professional it is and the investment from the rfu and everything like that you know we saw what happened over in ireland with the 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 ladies over there and all that stuff do you think scotland rugby and ireland rugby the rfu and the sru and world rugby need to do more because ultimately you know the you you are strongholds in in world rugby, but England are so far ahead because of all the investment that the RFU have put in, which allows all those structures to be in place. Everyone needs to do more in terms of the SIRU and the RFU and world rugby to help you ladies out as well, right?
5: Yeah, and like I I can obviously speak for us, you and I I know they are trying to invest in us, and and that is coming. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. Again, some like you could say we've left it a wee bit late, but better late than never that obviously what we're doing now is hopefully for future generations but it is starting to come and I would like to see you will see the benefits from it but again it's it's not really a short-term thing us qualifying for the World Cup is kind of a huge step hopefully towards again the funding and hopefully professionalism like that is a big step if we hadn't qualified it's hard to know kind of what position we'd be in
3: and it was Colombia, not Cameroon. Colombia. It
5: was Colombia.
3: You can tell the masses if you want. I thought it was... I don't know why I was saying... Was I saying Cameroon? It was meant to be Colombia. That's what I meant to say, that you beat to get the World Cup.
5: I thought the stats would have been better from you. I expected more. And-
3: I am sorry. I'm happy to put my name to it. But how, how big is that? Because that is a big part of it. On the biggest stage... The World Cup. We can come back to the Six Nations after, but getting to the World Cup, the manner in which you've done it, the profile of the game in the women's um, game in Scotland as well. Just talk to us about how good that was and how big an opportunity it is.
5: Yeah, so Scotland women haven't been to a World Cup since 2010. I was part of the last qualifiers where we had two playoffs with Spain. Obviously, it didn't qualify. Again, the, f- the funding and probably the investment in the women's game was half of what it was now. Yeah, it's been a long time since we have been. It was through COVID and all the rest of it, games got cancelled, games got changed. Obviously, the World Cup got postponed. Um, How we were meant to qualify changed various times. It was like a really uncertain time. And then eventually, obviously, we went into the European qualifier in September, which was against Italy, Spain and Ireland, First game against Italy, they they beat us. They were by far the stronger team. We did not play very well at all. Uh, So, we obviously had Spain and Ireland left and beat Spain just and then beat Ireland in the last minute of the game in a very Scottish fashion, which then got us to the final qualifier against Colombia. But I would probably say that European qualifier is again probably the biggest game we've ever played. I think because realistically there was no pressure on us except from us ourselves outside I don't think there was an expectation for us to to win that like we were fourth seed going into that Italy first seed. There was no expectation, but we knew obviously this is your last chance. So that was humongous then going out to Dubai to play Colombia. but yeah I think we've I've spoke about it and so many of us have genuinely dreamed of it and kind of thought, imagine or or what what if but like now being able to say when we go to the world cup is is pretty cool
0: yeah be phenomenal down in new zealand as well obviously it's been delayed so it's a a dream come true right and realistically let's look at quickly that the rest of the six nations obviously you play wales away this weekend goals for the six nations and then going to the world cup you is it like a building phase because you've now reached the ultimate goal of the world cup and expectations for both competitions really what, what what would be success
5: yeah as like we've obviously normally we go into Six Nations it's the main tournament of our whole season whereas we've just come off of some of the biggest games of of some of our lives you know what I mean because that was qualifying for the World Cup which was the was everything really so going into this tournament was a bit like okay now we're preparing for World Cup we have Wales in our pool so this weekend will be very interesting to kind of see where we're at but I think it is hugely important obviously just to see that we are still making strides again against England. Scoreline maybe doesn't suggest it but there's elements of that game where are completely a huge improvement from where we have been in the past like set piece being one of them. I think it is very much about showing improvements and hopefully like filtering in some of the young players and getting them good game time because obviously we don't know the squad number you can take, take to the World Cup yet but it's about kind of giving them a shot on the world stage and kind of and seeing what they can do.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Emma, just from me, I don't know if you're happy to share a little bit about your story, but I read the Times article at the weekend that you did, and I think it's, what well, it was really nice. Uh, you're really honest in that. But maybe just share to the listeners why you got into rugby and kind of what motivated you to be where you are. Because you sit here, you've got a big smile on your face. You always seem like that when you're on social media, that you're loving it. But behind all that is a little bit of sadness and the motivation why you picked up a rugby ball.
5: Yeah, so like I started when I was at school, friend's sister was kind of trying to get a a girl's side together and she was like, right, we need to go along. Again, I'd never really thought about playing rugby, didn't know much about women's rugby, girls' rugby, anything. My dad passed away when I was 10 years old. I knew he loved rugby. That was his everything. The socialising of it, going to Motherfield, watching Scotland and, and also played. I always knew that as a kid, but I was never aware that females played rugby too. So when that kind of opportunity came by, I was like, oh, you know what, I'll give it a shot. Like, That's quite nice. Like, Dad liked rugby. I'll give it a go. And I think Like, obviously, ever since I've started it, I never once imagined that I would be here now. Like, my mum, even when she dropped me off for my first training session, was like, you're not going to like this. But genuinely did just fall in love with the game instantly. So, yeah, something like very special to me and important to me is, is kind of playing for him. He, again, never knew I was aware of rugby to this extent anyway. Um, and he will never get to see me play or or pull on the Scotland shirt. But for me, it's a huge motivation. And it is probably the reason I am just so passionate about Scottish rugby and just the game in general.
3: I'm sure he's got a big smile on his face wherever he is, Emma.
0: He's definitely watching down you enjoying everything that you're doing keep going 53 consecutive tests is very impressive and i'm just glad to speak to a scottish second row that's an absolute legend for once on this podcast so thanks emma
1: emma thank you very much for coming on the show best of luck for the rest of the six nations and enjoy new zealand
5: thank you very much thanks for having me
3: emma class to have you thanks thank you thank you so much see you later top lass Top lass. Sorry, I'm Scottish.
0: Well, we say top lad, don't we? So, you, you, you're allowed to say top lass. Yeah, what an amazing story, though. Uh, you find different motivations to play sport and start, but 53 tests on the spin. And you can see, like you said it, Jim, the, the smile on the face, talking about it and living and breathing it. It's great to have her on and hopefully, obviously, they go on to big things at the World Cup. But first and foremost, beat Wales this weekend.
3: Yeah, I think for me, it's the reason that I just said at the end, always a smile on her face, looks happy looks enjoying what she's doing, understands the growth of the game, understands that it's going to take time, is happy to share that that journey with us. And like I mentioned, I read an article in The Times and it was quite moving and it's probably harder to talk about than it maybe is to talk about than it's editorial and written down. So yeah, to have her on and to be able to share that and her motivation for doing it, I think is quite powerful. And uh, yeah, mixes things up, having a lassie on every now and again. So big thank you to Emma. And uh, yeah, obviously Scottish rugby's heading in the right direction in the women's game. Hopefully, now we're in the World Cup.
1: Jim, do you want to give us a snapshot of what's been going on in the URC? I can give you a little bit, mate.
3: Hashtag always Edinburgh. Hell of a win. First team to beat a South African team on South African home soil. Not just any team. The Sharks. The South Sea Sharks. My old team. Yeah, but I, Andrew, from when you play to where they play now, fully loaded. Sia Khaleesi. Ma pimpy. as well. Just to name two. They were fully loaded, the Sharks. And Edinburgh have gone down there, I'm going to say it, with a second-ish string team. Not fully loaded, is what I should say. And beat them. Not only beat them, beat them 21 points to five in conditions that basically you needed to bring a snorkel, is all I'm saying. So (laughs) that was a huge win for them because, I just said, Sharks fully loaded, no team has won in South Africa, And hashtag always Edinburgh have gone down there. And this is the joy, I suppose, of the URC now that we've not been able to see or experience. I know it's been a long year. It's been a a changed year in terms of the fixtures. The South African games were essentially being looked at, being played in Europe. My point being is the teams get to tour now. So all the teams got a couple of games when they're down there. So they may as well make the most of enjoying it. But you've got to turn up, right? You've got to be able to perform in the games when you're having a little bit of a holiday. And fair play to Edinburgh. watch the game. It weren't a classic by any means. Blair Kinghorn, again, not that I wasn't warm to the fact of him playing 10, but in them conditions, had a fantastic game. Scored a couple of tries. Looked great. Unbelievable moustache. Controlled the game well. And it's a, it's a statement win. You know what I mean? When you talk about Scottish rugby, you talk about where they are now at the back of the Six Nations. The under-20s not performing. It's a statement win to go down to South Africa. So massive win against the Sharks for them. I mentioned I did the Cardiff-Glasgow game. Cardiff been struggling this season massively. Die Young looks like he's about 70. Boy, been horrible. And I, I feel bad because he went through a lot with Wasps. I love him as a coach. Love him as a bloke. He was my barbar's coach, albeit wouldn't let us drink after the Wednesday, so people fell out with him. But at Cardiff, it's been tough. The injuries that they've had for their team, the stuff around Christmas and COVID and lads being stuck down there. They're now starting to get some of their players back. And again, summer rugby, the conditions, artificial pitch, the fans, Capital of Wales, big win is what I'm trying to say. 32 points to 28 against Glasgow. They went 21-8 down. So I was commentating on that game. A few talking points around the Stormers' Ulster game. If you speak to Dan McFarlane, the Ulster coach, they won it effectively, didn't lose that game. Even though the scoreboard says 23 points to 20, Dan McFarlane ain't having it. He's not having
0: it. And to be fair... And this is what I like, right? Because I'll call out a TMO, I'll call out a referee when you make an error.
3: No, you won't. <laughs> yeah.
0: But here we go. Dan McFarlane after the game, he was like, you know, I consider that we've won that game. It should have been a try. So it's Callum Reid, picking goo over the line. It kind of gets knocked back. He doesn't knock it on. It gets knocked back in the tackle and he still scores a try. And now the United Rugby Championships head of match officials has come out today Has said that the late and potentially decisive disallow try for Ulster in their narrow defeat to the Stormers on Saturday should have stood. Ooh! Yeah, Tarpe Henning uh, admitted that the process used by both the Italian referee Gianluca Ginecci and South African television match official Quinton Immelman in controversially chalking off the score was flawed. So, they should have had the win. Ulster, basically you won it. Give them the points. That's
3: the URC. The referees... (laughs) That, and that is. I'm, I'm taking the piss there, but I am. The, the, the officiating is significantly below the prem, which arguably sometimes ain't the best. So it also should have won that game. You know, Dan McFarlane said it, and it's a difficult thing to say after a, a win. What are the other headlines out of there? Well, the Dragons nearly won. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nearly. That's a win. That's as good as a win, right? Well,
3: the Dragons, I don't know what's going on, mate. Just blame Luke away, But it was close, 55-20.
0: <laughs> they scored 20, though, so it must have been real close. A big bit of news coming out of the URC, obviously, was Leinster, my old international, was left, right and centre, going down to Connacht and putting 45 points on them down there. They play each other in a couple of weeks in the Champions Cup in the knockout stages, and they've taken an absolute pace in home home Connacht. So good luck to them in the European Champions Cup. Last 60 in a few weeks, because fair play, Leinster absolutely annihilated them down there. Looking forward to seeing how that goes in a
3: few weeks' time.
1: Well, shall we move on to the rumour mill? Are there any m- rumours floating around, lads?
3: Maratoji to Worcester. I, yeah, I don't think that's happening, Jim. Yeah, just trying to, you know, put something in the mix for Worcester. There's a few big ones, Anthony Watson to Leicester. I heard the London Irish thing fell through. They didn't have the dollar for him.
0: Yeah, I heard he's staying at Bath now.
3: I've heard that as well. I've heard he's staying at Bath, but Leicester are the ones where he could go to because where the money is there. But mate, wingers don't get paid as much as we think.
0: No, don't let him go to Leicester because we want Ashley to get another year, don't you?
3: I want him at Roslyn Park. That's where I want Ashley, will <laughs> <to> be
0: honest. <laughs> uh, here's one for you. Charlie Nartai, hell of a name, hell of a player. Leaving Leon to go to Leinster. Leinster don't need any more quality in the centres. They've got internationals galore. Just get a young kid coming through. But yeah, I heard uh, Charlie Nartai is going to Leinster.
3: O'Flaherty as well, the Exeter winger. Of- O'Flaherty. O'Flaherty, Thomas O'Flaherty. Uh, he's leaving Exeter apparently, just what I've heard. Where to? Sale was the rumour. Really? Yeah. It's a rumour though, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, after what the back three did at the end of the game at the weekend, you could probably see it. Joking. Uh, Nathan Hughes to Claremont is another one that I'm uh, hearing whispers of.
3: I heard Bristol's one of the back.
0: I think more of an injury crisis. It's interesting when you hear.
3: Why did he leave Bristol? Don't know. It's very strange. I don't know. I don't know. There was some people at live show shouting stuff out, but I couldn't hear him there,
1: his air, apparently. He's led. We should we finish things off then with the good, the bad, and the ugly? uh Yeah,
3: let's
0: start off with the good, and uh, we're going to start off in the southern hemisphere. And the first ever super rugby win for Moana Pacifica in the Golden Point as well. They beat the Hurricanes, Hurricanes, Hurricanes. Beat them 24-19 in extra time. So a massive shout out to the Moana Pacifica boys. Big shout out in the good this week, Jim Hamilton, to hashtag always Edinburgh. Always, always, mate. Winning 21 points to five away at the Sharks and the first team to beat a South African team on their own patch in the URC. So a of an effort from the Edinburgh boys. Jim said it was a second team. Just keep picking the second team, lads.
3: I didn't say it was second. I said it was a, it was a hybrid team. I don't know if I said hybrid. That's the first time I've said hybrid in probably three years.
0: Yeah, I think he said second team. Yeah, I think you said okay, second well, team. But yeah. I'll put
3: my name to it, don't worry. <laughs> there we go.
0: What else was good? Anton Dupont, everyone must have seen the video now. Al is the smallest bloke on the field in terms of height, just dominating that many players and shoving them off out of a tackle. He basically dispatched all eight of the Leon forwards, on a run when he came off the bench for Toulouse uh, at the weekend. But the main reason he gets the shout-out in the Goode is because he was named Six Nations Player of the Championship for the second time in three years last week. So, uh, massive shout-out to Anton Dupont. My mate
3: is mates with the kit man's brother's sister's wife and said that Anton Dupont is hung like an absolute horse as well. <laughs> there you go. He wins as well. He wins at that game as well. What else was
0: good? Tom Collins, 15 carries, 155 metres gained, nine defenders beaten and two tries in Northampton. Saints, 42-22 victory at London Irish. Hell of an effort from him. Talking of the try scored, George McGuigan, old teammate of mine, scored a hat-trick for Newcastle against Wasps and he's now the top Tri-scorer in the premiership now with twelve. What is it about hookers this year? Scoring tries for fun. At the back of them mall. Just easy. They all do it. Wollstone Croft at Saracens E's up there as well. Augustine Creevy, the London Irish. They're just scoring tries for fun. Maybe they've all got a try bonus in their contract. So anyway, big shout out to George McGuigan. Leicester, get a mention of the good this week. First away win at Sandy Park for seven and a half years. So outstanding work from them. Saracens as a club are going to get a shout-out this week.
3: No. Judy. What? What? No. What? This
0: time last year, they were Cornish Pirates away. This time this year, they're playing at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. The club put on a massive effort to get the game on, and it was a wonderful spectacle. And I've converted at least six Saracens fans back to following me on Twitter. So, massive shout-out to Saracens. But they don't win the Good this week because the Good goes to a certain ex-Saracen, an ex-Sail Shark, don't. an ex-Buster Warrior... Don't an do ex it. northampton Saint, an ex-Harlequin, an ex-Toulon player. I'm trying to think if I've missed someone. Have I, have I missed anyone out? I don't think I've missed any of the clubs out. Anyway, Chris Ashton came on our live tour to Manchester and Liverpool, the lovable rogue. He equalled Tom Vandell's Premiership try scoring record of 92 tries at the weekend with a double. So this week, the good is going to go... To Chris Ashton and his Leicester Tigers team. There you go, Jim. We'll, we won't just solely give it to him. Well done, Ashi. Uh The bad. A few bits of bad. Poor, where do we start? Connacht getting absolutely hosed. 45 points to eight at home to Leinster. The even worse news is, I mentioned it earlier, they've got to face them back-to-back uh, in the next few weeks in the Champions Cup. Uh, London Irish get a mention of the bad this week, losing 42-22 to Northampton on their own St. Patrick's Day party at the Brentford Community Stadium, so not happy with them. We're going to stick the Dragons in there as well, Jim. Who takes 55 points at the Bulls? They've lost again. Blame Luke Narrowway, but they scored 20 points. So the Dragons get a mention in the bad. But the bad this week goes to Zebra. They lost 41-24 at home to the Scarlets. And they've lost all 12 of their games this season in the URC. And they're bottom of the table, obviously, with only two losing bonus points. So, Zebra, you're going to get the bad this week.
3: Moral of the story, don't be called an animal. Ah, uh, a dragon, a zebra.
0: Is, is a dragon an animal? Well, it's not a real animal, but yeah. You can have a bearded dragon. It depends what, depends what dragon you're after.
3: True, JJ's got a bearded dragon called Rex. I mean, our original was that? I was like, can we not call it something else? Steve
0: <laughs> or David Rex. Barry. Barry would be a good animal's name, I reckon. Baza.
3: We were going to call the dog Sharon, but because it's a boy, we didn't. We've called it Odie instead, <laughs> but looked like a Sharon. Looked <laughs> like he wanted to smoke and have tattoos and stuff. I'm just saying that's what Sharon's <laughs> looked like.
0: The ugly. A uh, few bits of ugly. We're going to start off Owen Farrell's hit or his tackle technique uh, gets a mention.
3: Oh, I knew it. I knew. I knew you couldn't just remedy yourself and totally redeem yourself and pull it back. You've had to say no teeth, fans. And then, now
0: I we? Mean. <laughs> you said it yourself, shoulder boy's back. You know, he's got to work on his tackle techers. At some point, he will get caught out badly. And the worst bit was like, no, ref, no, no, you're wrong. No, it's because of this. But there we go. So he gets mentioned in the ugly. Tom Banks, his red card in Super Rugby for the Brombies against the force that resulted in the penalty try as well. Not good from him. The URC get mentioned in the ugly this week. Basically, their social media channels published a video of Alid Summerhill being knocked out with the sleeping emoji next to his head. They may have sacked the agency, irresponsible for what they've done, uh, pretty ugly in the way that you're mimicking someone getting knocked
3: out. Shocking. They've got rugby people doing social media content that don't know rugby and don't know, well, clearly. I mean, if they do, that's even worse, is it not? But no, that was absolutely abysmal. Yeah,
0: shocking. Uh, And sticking with something that's pretty abysmal, the WRU Get the Ugly this week, uh, Welsh rugby got the bad last week basically for performances on the field and everything that's going on there and now they're getting the ugly because there's been allegations of a culture of misogyny in the WIU and employees joking about rape and sexual assault and things like that so absolutely horrific scenes coming out of the WIU and that's why you get the ugly this week
1: thanks Scooty and you guys have got a couple of shout outs to finish off with don't you
3: Yep, I've got a big shout-out. And sticking with women's rugby or girls' rugby, it's a shout-out to Cheltenham North under-15 girls who've reached the national final on the 1st of May. So a big good luck to you girls. And to the Teddington girls' rugby team as well who've got their first ever full-contact match at Ryslip, and that was yesterday.
0: Yeah, big shout-out to the Police Scotland Thistles rugby team as well who are through to the semi-final of the Police Support UK-British Cup Beating Yorkshire Police, 59 points to 19. Police Scotland. So basically, Scotland have got to put whole country together to beat a county in England. I get it. You know, you need all the help you can get. But massive shout out to Police Scottish Thistles rugby team as well.
3: Yeah, good luck to you guys. And also a big shout out to Tony Hill and Alex Moore, who are both doing separate charity events for the My Name's Doddy Foundation. Great work, lads, and a very worthy charity. And everyone who does stuff for Doddy will always give you a shout out. So well done.
1: Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Gertie. Thanks, Producer Tristan. And thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify.
3: Rugby spot. Spotter pod, 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 pod.